Caitlin Cooper live, unplugged, in action. What's up? Oh, I'm here. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's been a while since we talked. It has been a while. I am happy to hear your voice on this program and in general. How are, how are things? been a whirlwind. I've lived a lot of years over the last month, I think. Just because of your particular professional situation or also in lockstep with the roller coaster of the team that you follow? <laughs> a little bit of both. Um, do we want to do an expository on how you've landed to where you are? Or do you want to just jump into um, the good news of your, your current writing home? Oh, we can do both. Both are fairly interesting, I think. Both are fairly interesting. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna step aside. I, I, I'm someone who was laid off, and it ended up being uh, a pretty tremendous opportunity for me. Um, I was, of course, along many uh, disappointed to hear the news that that cut you from indie cornrows from Vox. Um, but you have a new venture that you're that you're a part of. So, um, yeah. Before we talk Pacers, what, what kind of was your experience uh, in this transition? I mean, whatever you feel free, or feel, feel comfortable sharing, here, here's the space. Right. So, yeah, it was a whirlwind. I, I lived a lot of years, like I said, over the last month. Um, I think the day that I found out, I mean, we weren't given notice. I was completely caught off guard that Vox wasn't going to be supporting any cornrows anymore. So I was actually sitting there with a friend and JJ Reddick on his podcast had mentioned my article about Benedict Matherin. I was like, Hey, you got to see this video. Like, this is pretty cool. And like within like 10 minutes, I started seeing that various people from Vox's main site, like the SB nation flagships had been let go, which was of course sad because it was several people that I knew and had interacted with and worked there over the years. And then I started hearing that, Oh, various team sites are being cut, but it sounded like it was soccer and, and NFL mainly. And maybe some of the college sites, I think too. And then like literally five minutes later, our site manager sends us a DM in our group chat that we have on Twitter. And is like, well, we're one of the sites that's been cut. And I was like, wow, well that, that all came about rather quickly. I mean, I've been writing there since, since 2013. So it was 10 years. So um, I was pretty shocked. I was, I was fairly upset for the first week or so. That was about a week that I knew before I actually made my note publish on Twitter because we needed to make sure that everybody was aware that the changes had been made before we were kind of making that public. So from there, the day that I published the note, I was inundated with a lot of emails and a lot of direct messages to try to keep up with people and, and see what maybe opportunities were going to be out there for me. And then unfortunately, like personally, there was stuff that was going on that weekend where my, uh, my grandpa actually ended up being, had to be rushed to the ER and was hospitalized and he's still in care right now. So I was kind of going back and forth from hospitals and medical appointments while trying to take meetings with um, actually a few teams that were interested in talking to me around the same time that the trade deadline's going on. So I had a lot of important life decisions to make. And as all that was kind of uncertain, it just came more and more clear to me that the best option, at least for the rest of the season, was for me to pursue writing independently and still have that as an outlet while I was dealing with a lot of different life stresses. And I'm excited to get it started and excited about how many people seem to be excited that I'm doing it. So, And your writing home, to be clear, basketball she wrote. A blog about the basketball played by the Indiana Pacers on Patreon. It's so easy to subscribe. I literally just did it while Caitlin was giving her answer. 
I've been meaning to do it, and I thought, what better way to do it than live on the air while showing a tick? That took me literally less than two minutes to do. Um, and it's and it's true because I just got an email alert that you're one of my new subscribers. So bang, there it is, there it is. I'm excited. No, you obviously done a tremendous job covering this team to the point where I think that's backed up in, in the, the number of teams you said were interested in bringing on board. I mean, I mean, I'm curious, have you ever thought about the team side of things or has writing always been kind of the outlet that you found being uh, the most viable in terms of a, a professional career around this sport featuring an orange ball? Right. So that was kind of something I planned on taking the whole season to kind of figure out. I had talked to, two teams last summer one was a little bit more interested in the other one and moving the ball ahead but unfortunately I've had several family members who have been dealing with uh, long-term health situations and I felt that it was going to be best for me to stay put here in Indiana for the time being and that was stuff I was kind of weighing but it wasn't really something that I thought I was going to have to make an immediate decision about and you know dealing with this in the middle of February really wasn't the best timing for teams because they were you know obviously as you know in your line of work dealing with the trade deadline line and had a lot yeah. more pressing issues to deal with than me which I completely understand and I took some of those calls but for the most part the teams that I specifically talked to were it was more get to know you sessions and didn't necessarily have openings right here now and today and that if they did that that was something that they might want to revisit later on perhaps in the summer so um, yeah I mean it's, it's something I've thought about it's just gonna have to be under the right circumstances for me and what some of my um, long-term circumstances have been, but I yeah. definitely did over the month, over the month that I was away, I definitely did miss having writing as something that I could pour myself into. So I'm happy to be back doing that. Yeah. I mean, there's no wrong choice. I think when opportunities present themselves after situations uh, conclude being that there's no way to know what the wrong choice is going to be. Like, I, I, I think, um, and when I got let go at Sports Illustrated, I definitely talked to a couple of folks in the scouting world about potentially gathering intel for a team database as opposed to writing articles about it. But um, I, I, it's never been something that's really caught my eye. But um, I think what you do is so invaluable from a, um, from an internal standpoint. Like, there's so much ego, I think. Involved, and I say that to say, like, it's hard to be your own self critic um, from an internal standpoint where, from top to bottom, these teams are meeting every single day trying to drink their own Kool Aid and then add a little sugar here, a little other spice there to make it better, as opposed to deconstructing things from from top down. So it's it's not surprising to me that uh, that you've had interest and I'm sure there's various different ways teams have have thought about utilizing you. So if that, that door opens one day, uh, some team will be very lucky. They'll be very lucky. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, what's kind of interesting. I've actually had a couple, one or two that actually told me like, you know, we just like the way that you think differently. We're not really sure how we would use you, but we like the way that you think. So they were, we're kind of trying to run that up the flagpole to see what box I actually fit into. But I guess that's a blessing and a curse for me. It helps me with finding unique writing angles, but also can make me a little bit tedious at times, I think. <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting it a question this early, but we've got one from AJ who in the comments said that he loves Caitlin. So we're bringing on AJ. AJ, what's going on? 
How's it going, everybody? Doing hey, well. Hey, nice to talk to you. Yeah, I would say um, might have to go grab an Outshine Popsicle after this, but uh, <laughs> tremendous life want... decision. Yep, of course. Uh, just want to say, I'm glad you're back um, talking about the Pacers. I already got the the Substack, whatever subscribe, so don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> just wanted to ask how you guys feel about the Pacers' optionality this offseason, as Kevin Pritchard likes to call it, with the uh, three first-round picks, the first couple picks, or, like, first, what, top two, I think is what it is, if they get the Rockets pick um, in the second round, and then cap space and everything like that. So, appreciate it. You got it, AJ. That, that was going to be uh, where we were all leading to. But we, we, I guess we, we can start we can start there and, and work our way back. I mean, they do have three first-round picks to play with. Um, they're not exactly the most uh, intriguing first-round picks, and that one is Cleveland's, which is currently slotted for 25th, and the other is Boston's, which is currently slotted for 29th, and that could end up, very well end up being 30th. I mean, it could end up being 28th, too. Them, Denver, and Milwaukee all tied right now, 44 wins atop the league. Um, but it's going to be in the – those two picks are probably going to be in the bottom six of the first round. So when you see this number of three first-round picks to trade, Yes, that's not something to take lightly, but I think when the Pacers called Indiana or uh, Toronto, for example, to explore adding OG Ananobi, does adding three rookies this year or for next season right now does that really benefit Toronto at this point in time? Does that really benefit? How many teams are looking to add multiple? rookies locked into rookie scale contracts um right this season or you know right this off season it's it's tricky i think they'll potentially be able to do some tricky things like we saw the charlotte hornets trade um one of their lottery picks with a 15th pick but their pick didn't become mark williams um i guess it was the 13th pick that they ended up selecting jalen Duran with um, they turn that into a first and, and and four future seconds. Like, is that the type of move that's going to get Pacers fans super excited? No. Are they going to be able to turn these three picks into someone like OG or just a starting power forward right now that's going to dramatically move this team's ceiling ahead? I'm a little skeptical. That being said, like, they do have a ton of options um, and to add talent and to maybe – trade down or, or use those in separate deals for teams that are looking to sneak into the back end of the first round to get, you know, like the Sixers just plucked the Anthony Melton um, for, I think was the 25th pick last year. Um, the Mavericks were able to get Christian Wood. Like, are there moves like that uh, Indiana can make? Sure. I, I just, I'm not so certain that the draft and this year's draft in particular, and that draft capital is going to be the pathway to getting that like that major core piece that Indiana is looking to add, um, but I, I say all that to spin this to Caitlin, and uh, I'm curious if there was an option on the table. What do you think? I mean, if if the Pacers were that were end end up making the call and that they bring you on board, what uh, what direction? And, and is there like a, even a particular player or just a player type that you think you would try to be using all your ammo to go acquire? 
Right. So, I mean, I think what you just said about how many teams are going to want to draft three rookies, I don't know this, but I kind of suspect that might apply to the Pacers as well. Like, are they going to want to add three more young players and make roster spots for that? For like, sure. it, seems, it seems like making a consolidation trade makes some sense for them. I think that, you know, when you look at their situation where, you know, I kind of termed it in jest by comparison to Toronto and their former Vision 6-9, Vision 6-5, where they're playing, you know, eight guards a night. I don't know that that's so much them saying, you know, this is a vision as much as it's been a temporary solve to make them more competitive this season. And I give Rick Carlisle a lot of credit for that and making the adjustment to move Aaron Neesmith to the four and to play in the style that they're playing that's allowing them to push the pace and have, you know, all these quick guards on the floor, you know, kind of not so much small ball as skill ball and what they're doing. But you're able to see the cracks defensively fairly often in what they're having to do. Miles Turner's, you know, had to shift his role quite a bit in terms of being you know, assigned to lower usage wings so he can always stay around the basket. Teams have started being more creative in attacking that. Teams are also being very aggressive in hunting Tyrese Halliburton lately since he's come back from injury and how much they're putting him into pick and roll actions. I think that they're very much aware that what you said before is true, that they need a long-term answer at the power forward position. They've been looking at that for four years now. Right. I mean, going back to them liking Keegan Murray in the draft last summer Mm -hmm. as well. So, you know, I totally understand the OG on Anobi thing, and I think that it probably would have been, you know, malfeasance if they hadn't made calls up to Toronto. I don't know what exactly the offer was or what Toronto's thinking is going to be at the end of the season. Obviously, they went for a little bit more of a buyer role by going after Jakob Pertl. They're probably going to see how that plays out, if they can get into the play-in tournament and maybe get into a playoff series, what that looks like. But, you know, if, if OG's, you know, maybe not, completely pleased with where his role's at at the end of the season or they're reassessing things and I'm the Pacers, I would be going very hard after that. I think that he makes a lot of sense for what they're doing. I think he makes sense next to Tyrese Halliburton as a second side scorer, giving them a defensive presence that they can throw at wings as well as at guards. Um, how aggressive he would even be able to be with Miles Turner behind him. Some of what you're already seeing that he's being able to be more aggressive with Jakob Pertl behind him in Toronto. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a move and a call that I would have made. I don't know if they'd be willing to include other players in addition to those picks um, to make that type of a deal go. I don't know what the package was. I don't know if you have specific specifics on what the offer was to them. I don't have as much as I would like um, piecing together the intel. I mean, they wanted more than just three picks, Toronto. They wanted three picks and players. I know the Pacers were at least willing to discuss Chris Duarte with a lot of teams and – He's probably the highest upside player on this roster that was made available for discussion. So if he was someone Toronto liked at all, I'm not certain, but I'd have to imagine that, that his name was brought up because I don't really see another piece on this roster that, I mean, you could say Andrew Nemhard, but I don't think he's, I mean, I've been a big fan of Nemhard, uh, dating back to Gonzaga. Um, Because he's part of probably the last class, I'd say the 2018-19 college basketball season was like the last year I really watched college from like, uh, let me try to scout some guys. I mean, I haven't watched a single game of college basketball this year. Um, I will tune in for the tournament and I will learn about the draft via people who get paid to follow it year round. Um, But always liked his game. Combo guard, pretty efficient scorer. Um, I thought the defense was real. And 
all that being said, I just I don't see him as being he's twenty three. That's another thing with Chris Duarte as well. Like he's twenty five, pretty old for a second for a second year player. Um, so I just I don't know if the Pacers have that like upside blue chipper guy to be part of a package for someone of significant value if the other team was looking for that in return right now. Would would you disagree? I mean, the Duarte situation's been rather tough this year. Obviously, people can look at what his shooting percentages and numbers have been. He's dealing with injuries off and on throughout the year. It seems like every time he gains a little bit of momentum, he has some type of a setback or, you know, whatever it may be. He's earned some DNPs off and on throughout the season for reasons that I think people can probably tell by watching what some of his struggles have been. And obviously, them drafting Matherin and having some overlap. There's never really a clear reason sometimes when you're watching to be like, okay, let's not run that play or let's not have them run that play for Benedict Matherin and run it for Chris Duarte instead, or let's, let's not run buddy healed off that wide action and let Chris Duarte do it. And I do think the coaching staff at times has tried to, you know, kind of prime the pump for Chris where you can see at the beginning of games of like, Oh, okay. They're deliberately running that play for him to get an easy back cut to try to kind of get, you know, him back on track after he had played, you know, however many games it was like five games where he hadn't made a field goal attempt or he hadn't made a field goal. But it, it kind of makes you wonder when you're looking ahead in the long term. like even if this team decided over the summer, okay, you know, we're going to move buddy healed because we want to start starting Benedict Matherin. I don't really foresee them being like, okay, we're also going to start Chris Duarte instead of Andrew Nemhard because of what Andrew brings defensively. They throw Andrew at, a, at opposing team's top assignments for good reason. That helps Tyrese Halliburton not have to do that job. It allows him to be able to play off the ball. So it's kind of like what you just said, like Chris is older. So if you don't see him as somebody that's going to move into your starting lineup at age 26 next year, I can kind of understand why the Pacers would be open to moving him. And and looking back to last year, you kind of have to question a little bit, should they have been more aggressive at looking to move him at the deadline last year? Like, obviously he was playing better basketball, but also like would a contender have been interested in giving up something for him to come be, you know, their potential bench piece in a playoff run, like when he was playing better basketball than what he's been in his second year. I don't know, but um, I would suspect that that might continue to be brought up over the summer and around the draft. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't know either, but I think they probably would have being that what Chris Duarte was a year ago in the first year of a rookie deal would be a pretty valuable piece from a team building standpoint where every team that's in the contending sphere right now, they're all up against the tax or they're over the tax and they're doing things at the deadline to duck the tax, like to, to get a valuable rotation piece like that, who you know is going to be on a pretty valued deal moving forward. Um, if he if he continued to produce at that level, like I'm sure they would have had interest in him. So it's a it's a great point in uh, in hindsight, and um, I think teams often come to that conclusion about a lot of guys. I mean. I'm not saying the Wizards are talking about this internally right now, but he, I mean, Bradley Beal had massive trade value last year at the deadline. I don't know what exactly he would have commanded. Would it have been along the lines of Donovan Mitchell's return? I mean, possibly. I think probably the best thing out there was, was Ben Simmons for a while, and and that was before uh, this season has dramatically changed what we've all thought about his value on the trade market um but you flash forward to to now and with his contract locked in with a no trade clause um his situation is just going to be 
if 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 the Wizards ever were to come to that type of conclusion, it's just going to be far more difficult business to conduct than it would have been, uh, you know, 13 months ago. So that's the high scale of it. I mean, there are lower scales of it too, like Chris Duarte. So, um, I mean, even I think to bring this to Indiana, like there were moves that I think Pacers wanted to do in the past, i.e. moving Miles Turner um, where his value was higher and, and his value got lower and then it got higher again. Like it's all kind of a sliding scale. So um, who's to say if Chris Duarte can't like find his stride at a certain point, like injuries do happen. Maybe there's an opportunity for him to slide in in a positive way because of injury um, and take advantage down the stretch or maybe just gets hot and there's an opportunity for a team to look at him like we were just talking about. And, and they take a chance on him. But he is definitely, like you said, I think he's probably one name I, I would really be continuing to look at in the offseason as, as a trade candidate for the Pacers. I, I think Daniel Tice would be someone that they'll probably explore his value as well. Um, but I, I think, like we started talking about with AJ, um, the, go- the the overall goal will be to buy and to get better. I mean, this, this is a team that was – you know, clearly in, in the the playoff the play in picture, let alone the playoff picture before Halliburton's injury and they've just had a bunch of bad luck and stumbled down the standings. But there's they've still even got a chance to get into the play in tournament here. So I, I don't know if that's I mean, this was a team that entered the season sending like a dozen scouts to Vegas to watch Victor Rambanyama and Scoot Henderson and was kind of quietly hoping for a top five pick. So the more they fall out of the playing conversation, I don't necessarily think will be a bad thing for the Pacers. Um, but their circumstances entering next season are going to be way, way different compared to last season. Now that they've shown flashes of true competitiveness, they've got miles locked into an extension now, and they kind of have the bookends of that lineup that can really um, set the tone for what they try to move here uh, or, or build here moving forward. Um. So we'll, we'll rewind to where I wanted to go to start this all. And and one question I want to ask you about, Caitlin, how important has TJ McConnell been to this team, to the to people who haven't exactly been following the Pacers night in and night out? Yeah, I mean, he was kind of a point of contention, I think, among the fan base there for a little bit because, you know, Andrew enters the starting lineup, Chris Duarte's out with injury for a long time, and then Chris is going to come back, and there was some debate, you know, amongst talking heads in the Pacers media intelligentsia about, you know, should Chris go into the starting lineup and they move Andrew back to the bench so that he can run bench offense because of what he had done when Tyrese was out for two games on that West Coast trip where, you know, Andrew makes that game winner against the Lakers and then goes up to Portland and is running almost all of the point guard duties because Tyrese and TJ are both out and then does what he does against Golden State where he has, you know, like the 30 points and 12 assists and is making the big shots at the end of the game. And people were kind of thinking, you know, maybe they need to move TJ out of the rotation so that Andrew can be getting more reps as in a point guard role in this and reserve lineups. And I was kind of the opposite thinking that, you know, I think Andrew has played well enough off the ball and does enough defensively and helping Tyrese lighten some of that load that you needed to leave the rotation as it was. So, yeah, I mean, there's games this year where you can watch TJ McConnell and people know what he did on Martin Luther King day against the bucks where he had, you know, scored a career high in the first half and, 
really can organize the offense. And just like last night, like they don't play Tyrese on the final defensive possession of the game. They put, they subbed in TJ McConnell, made an offense for defense substitution. And he ended up kind of locking up Kyrie Irving on that possession. They've done that a couple times this season where they like TJ McConnell's ball pressure enough that they'll put him in, in key moments to be able to get stops when they need them. So also, like, I just think that there is some value when you look around and, you know, I don't want to just call out a team, but seeing some of the stuff that's happened in Houston this season, I think there is value for the Pacers that they have had Miles Turner and Buddy Heald and TJ McConnell around that, you know, even if they don't end up making it into the play-in tournament, being able to have veteran players that can be in the ears of some of these young guys on the bench, I know is something they valued. I mean, we saw them just wave James Johnson and sign him back within the next day because they valued what he does on the bench. So I know that's been an important part of the rebuild for the Pacers as well. How how concerned are you about Tyrese's defensive limitations? Because that was not really something being talked about at the start of the year, and you, you keep kind of re- referencing it. So I'm curious how, like, if, if I didn't realize what a, a number alarm fire meant until I really moved to New York, where, you know, two alarm fire, for those who don't know, means that a fire reaches to the second story of a building. What, uh, what alarm fire is this? How, how concerned are you about him on that side of the floor? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely something to monitor. Um, during the month while I was away, it was something that I kept noticing that, you know, they play the Cavs, they get into the third quarter, and he's defending Isaac Okoro because they like to use him as a roamer because he is so good at putting his arms in passing lanes and being able to close out multiple times, so that's fine. But then they started using Okoro as the screener to get him into action over and over again with Donovan Mitchell and with uh, Darius Garland. So, that showed up in that game. Then if you watch the end of the Jazz game back, it was the same thing to the point where something that really caught my eye was, you know, at, at what NBA teams do now is that they pre-switch on the screen approach. So you're getting the guy out of the screen that you don't want there. And they were literally using Buddy Heald to get Tyrese Halliburton out of those screens. And I think that most people know what Buddy's reputation is as a defender. Like, that's not necessarily a much sounder matchup than using Tyrese. And that, again, was happening last night against Luka, where they they used him to pre-switch Buddy and get Tyrese out of actions. Luka was going at Tyrese a number of times, getting him in the post. He couldn't really hold up there, where he still needs to add strength. And then out on the perimeter, as soon as they got... As soon as they got that mismatch, you could see Ronald Norwood and other guys telling, like, whoever was the adjacent guard, Buddy, Benedict Mather, and get to the nail. Like, get to the nail, and they're pulled way over, leaving those shooters open. So, um, it's definitely going to be something to watch at the end of the stretch against Boston. And last night, they tried hedge and recover to try to prevent Tyrese from being able to be put into that matchup. Sometimes you'll see them, like last night, they were doing three-quarter court trapping just to get the ball out of Lucas' hands. I think they did that for about 15 to 16 possessions. So, something that I'm going to be watching over the last 20 games is can they feasibly rotate out of those traps? Like, I think that the Mavs went like 6 of 14 on those possessions. So, it, it was, you know, moderately effective. At least Luca wasn't being able just to go and get that matchup right away. They were playing deeper into the clock but can they get better at hedge and recover with the personnel that they have because it is something that teams have really picked up on over the last I would say 10 games where he's being targeted a lot more and then obviously that can have the impact of potentially impacting his offense it didn't last night he scored 30 points or whatever it was but um, they they themselves went a little bit dry they didn't have a field goal over the last six minutes so the Mavs kind of helped him out a little bit there too but yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be something to monitor and who, who what other personnel they're going to need to add to that roster if it's something that continues and they don't feel like the hacks that they're finding are working. Yeah, that that was the, the last point that you made was what I was going to follow up with. If there is, if teams are smelling blood in the water in terms of just his general deficiencies on that side of the floor, 
they're going to be they're going to add a motivation to attack him to try to run him a little ragged to see if it will do anything to deplete him on offense because he is obviously their engine and it's also someone that loves to get out in transition and make plays in the open court and he doesn't have as much burst doing that because he's being run around screens and put into action after action after action on the other side of the ball i mean that will definitely be an uh, like I'll, that'll be low hanging fruit for opponents in a postseason matchup when we get to that conversation. I, I, I'll never forget 2016, I believe it was. Um, but whatever, whatever series it was, I'll never forget the Hawks Celtics series back when Isaiah Thomas was kind of coming into All Star form, and it was the Al Horford, Paul P- or Paul Melsap, excuse me, Kyle Korver, Damari Carroll, Jeff Teague, Hawks the the player of the month, all those guys were all-stars Hawks, and they just pick and roll Isaiah Thomas to death. Uh, after the series was tied 2-2, the Hawks just made, you know, ran rough shot all over Atlanta, uh, all over Boston, excuse me, um, and, and they made Isaiah Thomas work for it, play after play after play, and they just derailed everything Boston was, was trying to do. So um, that's that stuck with me in terms of postseason play and how – Really smart defenses just try to take every swing that they can at what you do best. Yeah, because, I mean, you, what you just said about the pace is a big one because, obviously, that's the most important thing that the Pacers have done this year is upping their transition frequency. Their half-court offense still isn't super efficient. And, you know, it's not the only reason, but you can see in the numbers on Unpredictable that since Tyrese came back that they're not they're, – they're time to shoot after a make, which is kind of what has differentiated Tyrese is that he's willing to push the ball – even after makes he's clapping for inbounds and wants to get the other way that their time to shoot has dropped off. They've fallen down in those rankings over about the last like 10 or so games here. So yeah, it is going to be something to monitor. That's not the only way that teams are impacting what their pace is, but um, you know, the cliche goes when the game slows down in the playoffs, (laughs) you know, what, what happens then? So yeah, I think that that's something that they definitely need to keep an eye on and see if some of their other tactics can work or if they're going to need to find a different answer when they continue to build out the roster. There you go. All right. I got to run by my mom a birthday gift. Caitlin, you're the best. Anything you want to say? Well, uh, here's your chance to make one more plug for your Patreon. And uh, yeah, take it away. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I would value anybody that wants to come over there and subscribe. It's Basketball She Wrote, a blog about the basketball played by the Indiana Pacers. And I'm right now I'm working on a piece, somebody we barely even talked about right here, on Miles Turner, who I think just had probably the best month of his career since he's been playing with the Indiana Pacers. So that's something that people can look forward to. That piece will be unlocked. Um, if you do subscribe, you get access to my mailbag so you can ask me questions and then you're the only people who are going to get to read those answers. So um, <laughs> that's one of the perks that comes along with it. So. We didn't talk about Miles, but as an intentional plug to steer traffic to your site. So there you go. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Caitlin. Um, I'm curious to watch the pages on the stretch. Excited to read your work as now a loyal subscriber. And uh, we'll be back <laughs> soon on the call and app. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>